thank God for your generosity. Well, this morning, you know, it's the week after Easter. Thanks all for coming back, by the way. I heard you had a great Sunday last Sunday. It's the week after Easter, and I thought, maybe it would be a good Sunday to kind of step back and look at the whole picture. And in fact, I want to do something I don't, like, often do, but I'm going to try I'm going to try to put my rocket science hat on and my pastor hat on all at the same time this morning and, and see if 25 minutes later we're still standing, or at least I'm still standing. Okay, we're going to see. I'm going to, and the rocket science stuff, I promise I'll keep it moving. I'll try to make it as fun as possible, but I'd like us to focus on two words this morning, the words creator and redeemer. In fact, if I was to take the Bible, you know, it's a thick book, right? Um, and if someone came up to you in the street and said, could you just sort of summarize the Bible in one sentence? I mean, how do you take 66 books, all these pages, all these words, one sentence? You know how I think I would do it? I think cover to cover, the message of the Bible is simply this. The God who created us has acted to rescue us or to redeem us. The God who created us has acted to redeem us or rescue us. So creator and redeemer. Now I spent nine years earning a PhD in aerospace engineering, as pastor said. And essentially I spent nine years of my life because I loved the sciences. I still do. I still read physics books on vacation. I know it's totally warped. But I, I, had a, I, had a, I had a whole day off between Christmas and New Year's last year. I read a physics book all day, and I was so inspired by the end of it. People say, Pastor, didn't studying science rob your faith from you? And, and quite the opposite. I mean, I would go to, especially in graduate school, I'd go to science classes and walk out feeling like I'd been in a worship service. Because the heavens declare the glory of God. Isn't that somewhere in the book there? And what he has made, you see... Just because I understand how my car works doesn't make me feel like I don't need a General Motors or a Ford Motor Company. Just because it's exquisite in the way it works doesn't mean it still didn't need a designer to put it together that way. And, and I would just be in awe, and this is one of the great edges of what's happening in science today. In fact, unlike what you'll hear in the media, unlike what you'll hear from the new atheists, they're actually scientists coming to Christ as more and more the scientific world is discovering how this amazing universe really does work. And, and, and it's hard to see it working, hard to conceive how it could have just by itself appeared without there being a creator of some kind. In fact, a hundred years ago right now, Einstein was publishing his general theory of relativity. And in it, to his dismay, his own theory predicted a starting point for the universe. No scientist 100 years ago believed that. And Einstein had really a lot of trouble with the idea of a personal God. He was so concerned about the implications of a starting point. Because if you have a starting point, you need a starter. So he actually changed his own equations to take the starting point out. Not real scientific, you know. And he later put them back in and called it the greatest blunder of his scientific career. Because I don't 
character as smart as Einstein, now, a hundred years later, the whole scientific world has moved towards Genesis 1-1. And we'll put that on the screen for you. Genesis 1-1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Our first introduction to the character of God is his creative capacity. And the first proposition of Scripture is that you are here on purpose. You're not here as the byproduct of a random cosmic accident. You're here on purpose. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Well, well, Pastor, can science prove that someone creates? So it sounds from everything I hear, the new atheism and everything else, that, that, that science is now the, the enemy of religion. But I want to tell you, science has come a long ways in the last hundred years towards, first of all, agreeing that we have a starting point. And now the more we learn, it's sort of like walking down a path and you see a watch on the path. And if you see a watch on the path, is your first inclination to say, oh my, isn't it impressive the way that watch self-assembled? You know, obviously no. Now, your, your first thought is going to be, oh, someone lost a watch that somebody else made. You can have matter, you can have energy, but we're realizing now it takes information to put all of that together, and where did that come from? I want to show you a quote, put it on the screen. This is by Michael Denton, fairly well-known scientist. He's a respected biochemist, a geneticist, and he's agnostic. He's not a Christian, so I quote him on purpose so that you don't think there's any Christian bias here. He said, to grasp the reality of life, as it's been revealed by, let's say, molecular biology in this room. We must magnify a cell by a thousand million times until it's 20 kilometers in diameter, that'd be about 13, 14 miles wide, and resembles a giant airship, large enough to cover a great city like London or New York. What we would then see would be an object of unparalleled complexity and adaptive design. Now, before we go on, let's just stop there. Your body is made up, of course, cells, right? And there are six trillion, with a T, cells in your body. That's a ton of cells. So he's saying, let's take one six trillionth of you. Let's take one cell in your body and blow it up until it looks like a huge UFO floating over New York City. And we do it so we can actually see what that cell looks like. And he goes on, in the next slide we'll put on the screen, on the surface of the cell, if we did that, we'd see millions of openings, like the portholes of a vast spaceship, opening and closing to allow a continual stream of materials to flow in and out. And if we were to enter one of those openings, we would find ourselves in a world of supreme technology and bewildering complexity. This is just one of the six trillion cells in your body. The ne next one. It is, the sh what you would see inside that cell is the sheer universality of perfection. The fact that everywhere we look to, to whatever depth we look, we find an elegance and an ingenuity of an absolutely transcending quality which so mitigates against the idea of now, this would be an agnostic saying it, but this is where the scientific world is coming to. 
Now, we're going to need a little short math lesson for the next one, but the next slide. The astronomer and mathematician Fred Hoyle, he's a fairly famous scientist uh, from Cambridge University, and he, is a, he was at least an atheist. Now, because of some of this, he's maybe moved towards being an agnostic, but for most of his life, he was an atheist. He calculated the odds of 2,000 enzymes, each performing specific tasks necessary to form a single bacterium cell like E. coli to be 1 in 10 to the 40,000th power. Of course, enzymes have to do with protein structure, which are the building blocks of a cell. He's saying even the most simple cell, 2,000 enzymes, which would be needed sequentially at the right moment, all doing the right time, doing the right thing, by chance, the probability of that would be one, one chance in 10 to the 40,000th power. Now, high, uh, middle school math, 10 squared or 10 to the second power is 10 times 10, right? What's 10 times 10? 100, right. And you write 100, it's the number one with two zeros after it, right? So 10 squared is one with two zeros. 10 to the third power is 10 times 10 times 10, which is 1,000 which is the number one with three zeros, right? So 10 to the second power is one with two zeros. 10 to the third power is one with three zeros. 10 to the 40,000th power. That's the number one with 40,000 zeros after it. And they're saying 2,000 enzymes sequentially by chance to do exactly what it takes, even to build the most basic of cells, would be one chance in 10 to the 40,000th power. So this became a fairly famous quote in the 20th century. The next slide. Fred Hoyle, the atheist, writes, a common sense interpretation of the facts suggests that a super intellect has monkeyed with physics. I love that. They say, well, how do these guys stay atheists? Well, you start saying, I, I don't want there to be any God, and so you know, one of the ways they stay atheists is just by saying, well, the fact that we're here means even though it's very unlikely, it must have happened anyway. Or else there is multiple universes out there, like if you saw Interstellar, if it can, if it can happen, it, it will happen, and Murphy's Law and all of that sort of thing. And, and there's, there's just so many multiple universes that we're just one of many and just happen to all come together in ours. And, and that, that's... You, there is no way to scientifically prove that at all. It's just getting around the fact that with matter and energy, somewhere information has come to sequence this. Otherwise, it is our universe is not nearly old enough and large enough spatially for these kind of improbabilities to have happened in our universe. And it's absolutely, absolutely amazing. And this is what Genesis 1-1 tells us, that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then Genesis 1, if you keep reading down to verse 27 of Genesis 1, it goes on to tell us that God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. That's you and me. In fact, there's no religious writing anywhere in the world that gives us a higher view of God and a higher view of human beings than Genesis chapter 1. And it says we're not a mistake. We are here on purpose, and that God's own image has been imprinted in you and me. 
And that means God, in asking, I always picture people as having a sign hung around their neck. In fact, I'm going to show you a picture of this. And that sign says, made in the image of God, handle with care. Now, if you go to college and you have a roommate, uh, I'm, I'm sorry to tell you, but your roommate has that sign around his or her neck. If you're married, I know I'm meddling here. If you're married, your spouse has that sign. And I hate to say it, but your five-year-old kid brother has that sign hung around his neck. Jerk that he can be. Made in the image of God. Handle with care. I once had a, when I was studying at the University of Minnesota, an interesting conversation with an atheist. And I always remember it because I did appreciate his honesty. He said, Jim, he said, I do have to concede that if it is true that we've been created by God, that would be the game changer. Because that would define, of course, accountability. That would define purpose. If we're not just chemical reactions walking around on two legs, if we're not just the, the result of the random cosmic forces of the universe, if it is true that we're here on purpose, that we are created and then imprinted with the image of God, that would be the game changer. And I want to tell you, it's why you have value as a human being. Our culture is trying really hard to strip you of your value. Secular humanism is trying to say, you're a random chance product on a, on a small planet of an obscure sun somewhere in the edge of the universe. We are totally, you hear it everywhere. We're unimportant. We have no value. But I want to tell you, if you've not been created by God, if you just are a mistake, then who is determining your value as a human being? Please don't tell me it's your banker. And I don't want to hear that it's popular culture that's determining whether you have value or not. And I absolutely hope it's not the majority population and their prejudices that are determining whether you particularly have value or not. In fact, we hear a lot about human rights, and there's a contradiction out there now. They will say, human rights are, are important, but on the other hand, because we're all just products of random chance, that there's no absolute moral code, code that applies to everybody. So they will say, we believe in cultural relativism. Everybody makes up the rules, but we also believe that you shouldn't exploit women. And I want to tell you, you can't have human rights and no basis to value human beings at the same time, and yet our culture is trying to put them together. I want to tell you that one of the great triumphs of the Christian message is that it starts here. God created you and imprinted you with his image and gave you dignity and value that nothing can ever strip away from you. I mean, who cares what some person thinks about you? Who cares how much you have in your bank account? God created you in his image. And then what I love, what I love is that, that, that in Isaiah chapter 40, God uses an astronomy lesson to tell us that not only have we immense va value, but that, that he, he never can lose track of us. In, in Isaiah 40, which I think is one of the greatest uh, chapters in the Bible and the greatness of God, in verse 26, God says, lift up your eyes to the heavens. And who created all these? So it's at night. There's no clouds. You lift up your eyes to the heavens. What do you see? You see a night filled with stars. Although I, I do like, you know, Sherlock Holmes is making a comeback, right? 
Sherlock Holmes and Watson, you know, they go camping. Maybe you heard the story. And they're, they're bedded down in their sleeping bags one night, and, and they're lying there on the ground. And Holmes says, Mr. Watson, I'd like you to look straight up and tell me what you see. And Watson says, why, I see a night sky filled with stars. To which Holmes says, and what does that say to you, Mr. Watson? Mr. Watson responds, well, theologically, it tells me God is very great. We are very small. Astronomically, it tells me there must be millions of stars in our galaxy alone. And, and climatologically, it tells me we'll have fair weather tomorrow. Why? Why, Mr. Mr. Holmes? What does it say to you? To which Sherlock Holmes replied, uh, somebody stole our tip. So it's important not to miss the obvious here. We do not want to miss the obvious. Otherwise, we're going to miss this powerful truth right here in Isaiah chapter 40. God says, look up, and what did you see? And Isaiah didn't see, oh, I see someone stole my tent. Um, he said, I see a night sky, sky filled with stars. Well, and who brings these stars out one by one, God asked. Who brings those stars out one by one, and get this, and calls each one of them forth by name? Because of his great power and mighty strength, God's great power and mighty strength, not one of them was missing. Now, we know a lot more about the night sky than they did 3,000 years ago when, when God told Isaiah to look up in the sky. And as a matter of fact, let me show you a picture. This is a picture of our galaxy, the Milky Way galaxy. Not a photograph because nobody's ever left our galaxy to snap this shot on their iPhone. So about halfway down, about halfway down from the center on one of the spiral arms, you might see it in the little, in the little uh, words. It's the word sun. That's where our sun is. And we orbit that sun. Now, that's a massive galaxy. A lot of stars in there. And, and to understand how big it is, you have to, you know, speed of light. You know, you all heard that. You know, speed of light's blazing fast when you put on a switch. You see the light almost instantly. But it's not instant. I mean, speed tra light travels at a speed. It's 100 and 86,000 miles every one second. That's seven and a half times around the world every second. So that's blazing fast. That's faster than any hot rod you've ever had. <laughs> that's blazing fast. Do you realize to go from one side of our galaxy to the other, from the left across the middle to the right, at the speed of light, seven and a half times around the world every one second, it would take you 100,000 years at the speed of light get from one side of our galaxy to the other. So scientists think there's probably three, four hundred billion stars in our galaxy. But we're not alone in the universe. There's billions of galaxies. Our closest neighbor is in the, this is an actual photograph. Our closest neighbor is a beautiful galaxy. It's Andromeda. It would be close to the same size. There, there's another several hundred billion stars in Andromeda. It would take you three million years just at the speed of light to get to Andromeda. So it's pretty close in terms of the size of our universe. And they say Andromeda and the Milky Way are on a collision course. But I can guarantee you, you won't be around for that probably. But there's one more picture. And this picture is called a deep field picture. This is from the Hubble Space Telescope. And you know, you see all those points of light, you think, oh, more stars. No. Every one of those points of lights is another galaxy, just like Andromeda, just like the Milky Way, full of billions and billions of stars. There's probably 10,000 galaxies in that picture alone. And that's one just very, very narrow slice of the night sky. That gives you a headache. I know how you feel. I mean, we cannot, even the finiteness of our universe, we cannot even comprehend. It's unbelievable what God has made and what God has created. But I want to tell you, I want to tell you what he said 
what he says to Isaiah. Remember those words we just read? Because of his great power and mighty strength, not one of them is missing. And then he asks the ultimate, so what was that you were saying question in the next verse? So why do you complain, Jacob? Very next verse. And why do you say, Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord and my cause is disregarded by my God? Listen, have you, have you ever felt that way? That God's sort of forgot your name and lost your address? I have. I think it's part of all of our growth experience. That God is saying, look, I call out the stars one by one. I can't lose track of one of them. And you're the pinnacle of my creation. You have immense value. You're here on purpose. I stamp you with my image. You have the handle with care. Created the image of God sign around your neck. And not only that, I can never lose track of you. You may feel like I've forgotten your name and lost your address, but the fact is, I never have. I'm supervising the whole universe, and there's no way you will ever get out of my sight. It's easy these days to feel insignificant. It's easy to feel lost in a crowd. It's easy to feel just a number. But God says, with me, because of my capacity and power, every person is of unbelievable value, and I can't lose track of even one of them, no more than I could lose track of any of the hundreds and hundreds of billions of stars. And then he goes on to the next verse, and he says, the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth, and he will not grow tired or weary. I absolutely love that. He's saying, you know what? You know what? You have, you're here on purpose. You have immense value. I can never lose track of me, and here's the great news, and you can never wear me out. Because I'm the creator. And he's it. that means he's infinite. Now, last math lesson. Infinity is a number in mathematics. You write it by, it's the letter H lying on its side. Infinity. And you can multiply and divide infinity. You realize mathematically, if you divide infinity by two, what's the answer? Infinity, mathematically divided by two, equals infinity. Because half a limitless is still limitless. I heard you had 1,750 people here at church last Sunday. Awesome. What do you think? Infinity divided by 1,750 equals infinity. There's 7 billion people in the world today. Infinity divided by 7 billion is? And so for years... As a pastor, I had people come up and say, Pastor, I feel so guilty when I pray for myself because, you know, God's got so many people to be concerned about. You know, and, well, first of all, just for the record, I pray for myself just in case nobody else is. I'm not going to take a chance on that one. But I want to tell you, the God who created you, who imprinted you with immense value that no other human being or world system could ever take away from you, the God who can never lose track of you, he's infinite. That means, I don't care if there's 7 billion people on the face of the earth, he is infinitely available to you like you were the only person alive. He is the mighty God like we sang today. And, and he is the one that created us. But you know, I'm, I'm so glad that the story didn't end with just that he created us. Because we all know that something terribly wrong went with the human condition. The free will that God gave us 
morphed into rebellion against God. And our affections, which ought to love what he loves, have become wicked until we, we love things that he hates. And can you believe this? Human beings actually harm themselves and they harm other people. Absolutely against the heart of a God who created you and loves you and can never lose track of you and is infinitely available. But look what the Apostle Paul writes in the New Testament. Because remember, the story of the Bible is what? The God who created us has acted to redeem us. Thank God he just didn't create us and end the story and let us self-destruct with our rebellious wills and our wicked affections. But God launched the greatest rescue mission of, of all eternity, and we celebrated it last weekend. And so the apostle Paul says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new what? You say that word again? Creation. Interesting choice of words. He's actually a new creation. Now, God's not creating the physical universe anymore, but he is still making you and me new from the inside out. Where literally we can come to the place where we say the old is gone and the new is come, he says. I love the story of the Catholic priest, Father Damien, 150 years ago. He was a missionary, and he was in the Hawaiian Islands, and they were exiling lepers to Molokai. And uh, he actually moved himself onto Molokai. He had to live under a tree for the first three months so he could build a simple hut. Nobody wanted to live with the lepers. Uh, they were consigned there till they died. And this Catholic priest loved the lepers. He moved onto Molokai. And, and the lepers loved him because he was with them. And he actually, he actually, you know, um, would lead a chapel service every morning for the, for the lepers. And one morning he was getting ready in his little hut for chapel. He was pouring himself some tea, and he poured some hot water in a cup, and it sloshed over onto his feet. And to his surprise, he couldn't feel the hot water. They say he actually poured a little directly on his foot, couldn't feel it. So he, he went to chapel that morning. Normally, Father Damien would, would start chapel by stretching his hands out like this and saying, my fellow believers welcome you. But this morning, with tears coming down his face, he stretched out his arms and started chapel like this. My fellow lepers welcome you. For he caught their disease. I read that. I thought that's what Jesus did for me in God's great rescue mission. I don't understand it all, but I was warped and I was lost. And what he created was becoming seriously disfigured. But Jesus came. God so loved the world, he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And one of Jesus' closest followers, Peter, would later say when Jesus stretched out his hands and hung on that cross, that he bore our sins in his body on the tree so that, so that by his wounds we might be healed. He caught our disease. He caught the disfiguring disease of sin. It was placed on Jesus' body. And when Jesus blew out of that tomb three days later, the God who created heaven and earth, he broke even death's power and said, uh, it, you're not too hard a case for me. I love you. You have immense value. And if you open your life to me, 
I'm infinitely available to you to transform you from the inside out, to forgive your sin, to make you new. And this week after, weekend after Easter, that's the proposition of the greatest message on the earth for every one of us. And would you just bow your head with me and close your eyes? I'm going to turn it to Pastor uh, Ayers in a moment. But, you know, uh, many of you seek after the Lord and follow him, and I just want you to encourage, encourage you. You know, God's working in our world, and you're, you're not insignificant to him. Some, some of us are perhaps here today. And uh, you, we've been keeping God at arm's length. But if you are here on purpose, you want to find the reason for that purpose. God does love you, and he sent his own son to die in your place to catch your disease, and um, to do for you what you can't do for yourself, to forgive your sin and start the work of new creation where old things will pass away in your life and the new things of your creator working in a fresh way in your life will come. I mean, this is what we can say yes to today. If we say no to ourselves and yes to him. Here at Life Church, we pray that you have a blessed week. Please connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, or you can always go to lifechurchutah.com.